That was Good Vibrations by Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, and welcome to Timmy Tim and the Funky Bunch. This is the very first episode of our podcast, the podcast where we will be getting down to the core of Slaughterhouse Five. I'm Tim. I'm Carlos. And I'm Anthony. All right, let's hop right into it. Fortune Sun by Credence Clearwater Revival. Fortune Sun is an iconic war song that has been used throughout many great Vietnam War movies. We only thought it was fitting that to put a song using uh, war movies in front of a podcast about war. We're coming at you live from the Oakland Public Library in Oakland, Illinois. It is Monday, March 4th, 2019, and it is very chilly outside. So what better way to avoid the cold than sitting back and enjoying Timmy Tim and the Funky Bunch? Gentlemen, how was your weekend? You well, know, it was, uh, it was pretty good. Quite busy, actually. That's good. Yeah. I had a really fun weekend. Uh, the hockey team beat Stevenson, so Ooh. we're going on to the Elite Eight. Look at that. Playing good Loyola to tomorrow. Good to hear. All right, so we're going to get into some literary analysis. Yay. Yay. So, I thought this quote was interesting. I want to hear what you guys think about it. So, it's on page 45. It is so short and jumbled and jangled, Sam, because there is nothing intelligent to say about a massacre. Everybody is supposed to be dead, to never say anything or want anything ever again. Everything is supposed to be very quiet after a massacre, and it always is, except for the birds. And what do the birds say? All there is to say about a massacre, things like, Pootiwee. I just want to know what you guys thought about that, like, how you guys are interpreting that. Well, uh, I found the, the bird to be representative of uh, how people react to tragedies. Like, for example, after mass shootings, uh, there is not, not really anything intelligent to talk about, and people don't really know what to say. People just don't have any answers as to how uh, such a horrible tragedy can happen. Yeah, that is very true. I think we're all on the same page here and thinking that after, you know, big incidents, like Tim said, mass shootings are a great example. Well, obviously not great, but they are an example that we deal with here. Um, there's just nothing good that you could say because everyone's either arguing about gun laws, this or that, or it wouldn't have happened if we did this and it wouldn't have happened if we did that. So personally, I think we're spot on with this one. Uh, Vonnegut's just saying that there's really nothing you could say in the wake of a uh, massacre that is going to be taken uh, correctly or will spark any real debate. Yeah, there's nothing really uh, right or wrong. Like, when people discuss this topic about, like, school shootings and that, uh, there isn't, there's two sides of, not two sides of the story, but everyone has a different have, solution. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and saying. I feel like, especially after something like this, everyone's emotional and we can't agree on anything. Yeah, like, yeah. should he, should he let uh, citizens keep the, the gun laws? Yeah, the gun yeah. laws. Yeah. Okay, and, and another thing I picked up on in, in the first three chapters was the irony surrounding a few of the many deaths, and there were quite a few deaths. Uh, maybe it's not even irony, but rather coincidence. You know, for example... Billy Pilgrim's dad was accidentally shot by his friend while hunting deer. 
This happened like literally right before Billy would find out he's being ordered to go and fight overseas in the war. And in the Battle of the Bulge in Germany, Billy was the least soldier-like of anyone. He was never even given a steel helmet or combat boots. The dude didn't even have a weapon. Yet still, Billy was one of the very few who survived the German attack. Yeah, I think he was definitely uh, ill-prepared. Like, and I believe it was chapter two when it was him and and Roland, correct? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, when uh, they were getting shot at on the street and Billy just stood there and Roland had to shout for him to, you know, take cover with them. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he was basically the least fit for survival out there, yet he was the only survival of the plane crash in Vermont. The only, like... Talk about a true underdog story. What this kind of reminds <laughs> me of is um, the jungle with all the ironic deaths, I would say. Whenever something is going good for Jurgis, seems like one of his family members dies, and nothing could ever go his way. So I feel like um, this novel kind of parallels that in saying, um, you know, he's not prepared for anything, but he's lucky and he's staying alive, and everyone but him is dying. Yeah, I agree with, like, the deaths, but, uh, I mean, I'm not so sure that there's many good things happening for Billy right now. Oh, not at all. And, and staying and alive isn't a good thing? Well, well but then, yeah, yeah, but, but then I mean, the, circus, the circumstances and, he's facing right now. And right after, he, he was the only survivor of the plane, survivor of the plane crash, which is ironic in itself because of how he was, like, the least likely to survive, but... Then Billy's wife dies of an accidental carbon monoxide poisoning on her way to visit Billy in the hospital after that plane crash. Yeah, true. But going off more off that uh, plane cl- crash, how uh, how he got uh, banged up during it. Yeah, you know, uh, dude got he got abducted by aliens. It's <laughs> very true. And then one more ironic death was the death of Roland Weary's uh, gun crew. Weary's gun crew was struck by a tank, and they were all killed except for Weary. Yet Weary, like Billy, was not very familiar with war and was not exactly very fit for survival. He was the youngest, dumbest, and fattest. Yeah, or going into how young they were asked to join the war, like uh, Billy. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, speaking of all, like while we're talking about the deaths here, there were some brutal ones. I mean, just like uh, Anthony said back, it makes you think of the jungle. You know, like there was in here, there was uh, someone got squashed by a car. And I think one guy got his eyelids cut off and was uh, forced to stare at the sun till he dies. And uh, another uh, froze to the death in the snow. And there were many more. Yeah, going back to. Uh you know, I want to bring up a specific gruesome death from the jungle. How, uh, what was it, his nephew? Uh, yeah. Who got eaten by rats? Yeah, he got eaten by rats. That was... Yeah, that's kind of crazy. And all was it, his kid drowned in a puddle? Oh my, yeah, just going outside in the front yard. Who knew? Yeah, and uh, another thing that I'm sure you all noticed, uh, I, I don't know how you could miss it, is, is the, the, word, uh, the word, so it goes, where... And mentioned after each death. Yeah. Uh, to me, I don't know if I'm the only one who kind of gets this from that, but like. Yeah. I mean, it was a little confusing to pick up on. Yeah. To me, it seems like they're kind of foreshadowing Billy's death to an extent, but like, 
not like in detail or anything. No, and not to mention, they mention in the first three chapters alone, they mention the word so it goes 28 times. I actually counted 28. Jesus, Tim. You had a lot of time on your hands, didn't you? That's just a little over nine times a chapter. Hey, Mancini, great math. I love it. Mr. Park does taught me well. Great. That's enough uh, literary analysis for today. Uh, next, we're going to talk about heroism. And that was Hero by Skillet. Uh, that brings us into our next segment, Heroism. Alright, yeah, so so throughout the first uh, few chapters here, uh, Roland Weary kind of uh, really is desiring like, heroism. He wants to be portrayed as a hero, and he, like it's kind of shown through his, like, re- reluctantly uh, saves uh, Billy Pilgrim a couple times because uh, he, wants the, he wants the reputation as a hero. Yeah, uh, there's a quote right here that I have. Uh, saved your life again, you dumb bastard, where he said to Billy in the ditch. Uh, he had been saving Billy's life for days, cursing him, kicking him, slapping him, making him move. It was absolutely necessary that cruelty be used because Billy wouldn't do anything to save himself. Wow, yeah. That's, that's deep. You know, uh, Billy, or I should say, Roland Weary, he's kind of a selfish guy, he doesn't actually care about Billy at all, you know, uh, he acts like he does, or he wants to, I think this is true in, uh, with a lot of people in society today, you know, uh, they, especially, make politicians. Uh, yeah, I totally agree about that with you. Um, politicians, it seems like they make many promises to many commu- communities, uh, that they'll help them with, like, gang violence and stuff. But, you know, many communities, they, they they seek the help, but not many of them are rewarded, you know, what a common person would consider as normal. Exactly, and I think that maybe, like, with also with uh, celebrities and stuff, that they uh, kind of do things for, uh, uh, for their own reputation or whatever. They do things that, uh, like, some, like, they do like charity things with like not that the charity stuff's bad because it's obviously good. Like in this case with, uh, with build their reputation. Yeah, make them like look in this good. case, Roland. Like it's good that he's saving them, obviously, and it's good that like celebrities are like doing stuff for charity, but they're not necessarily doing them for the right reasons, and like they're just all about trying to get that reputation as a good person. Yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. There, um, even people that I know, maybe like playing hockey some guys pretend they're all about the team they're not they just want to look good and it happens a lot like with this weary in the book he's yeah. trying to look like he's a good guy really he's just doing it to boost his own platform like some guys like CQ with baseball oh I have this many RBIs alright that's helping the team but it's still boosting you up like you're not doing it just for the betterment of the team. You're doing it to boost your own ego and boost your own image. Yeah, so, so I asked this question, all right? So 
if you do something heroic or good, but you only do it for your own reputation, is it heroic? To me, no. I don't think that doing something just for yourself is heroic. I believe genuinely wanting to help someone else and just be a positive impact on someone else's life is a heroic thing. You shouldn't have to be in it to say, oh yeah, I did this, or I helped this person, I saved this person. You should be able to help someone and not try to take a bunch of attention from it if you are really a hero. Uh, agreed, but to counter that, just to counter it, uh, you know, at the end of the day, a good deed is a good deed. That is very true. Yeah, I'm not saying it's bad to like, do nice yeah, things. Like I said earlier, like with uh, celebrities and charities and stuff, like they're doing good things, but people have to question if they weren't celebrities and if, like, can't people do the same stuff without talking about it? Like, can't they can't they donate to charities without yeah, if publishing? It, if it wasn't without, published, you know, would they still do it? Making it out yeah. to the public and doing all these things, these things, you know. Uh, another quote here on page 100, 105 here is uh, Bonnie writes Weary barked and whimpered through his layers or scarf from home. He spoke unintelligibly of the sacrifices he had made on Billy's behalf. He dilated upon the piety and heroism of the three musketeers, portrayed in the most glowing and impassioned hues, their virtue and magnanimity, magnanimity, the imperishable honor that they acquired for themselves. So, I mean, he's not even, like, he kind of even exaggerates, like, the sacrifices. He, he didn't really make that much of a sacrifice for Billy either. He kind of just, he kind of make, like, makes a little bit of stuff up about it, you know? Yeah, I mean, early on in the quote when he was just saying about what he did to help Billy, personally... If I meet someone like that in real life, it just kind of puts a bad taste in my mouth because it, you're, like, bragging about doing good things. You should just be able, like, to be a hero, you do good things because it's the right thing to do. You don't do it because you'll get recognition from someone else. Yeah, agreed. And, uh, you know, part of my language, but this kind of make him sounds like an asshole. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Okay, I'm with you 100% on that one. So that's all the time we have to talk about heroism. Now we will talk about PTSD and trauma from war. And that was just got back from war. Uh, this fits our next segment about PTSD. Yeah, so uh, Billy struggles, severely struggles from PTSD from fighting overseas as he like, has severe sleep disorders and like he said he falls asleep while uh, like, examining patients, um, I guess. And uh, like this is historically speaking that uh, like the veterans and stuff coming back from war, they like the trauma of the war, it uh, really affects them and uh, really can like make their lives not like really uh, worsens their lives I guess yeah uh, you know
you know, talking about PTSD, uh, I want to discuss about, you know, basically Billy thinking he got abducted by aliens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that just shows how messed up someone's head can be after they go through something really traumatic. Yeah, um, I mean, he literally said that they took him through a time warp to, I believe it was Tralfamador, and that he was put into a zoo to be exhibited. Yeah, it's just pretty like the PTSD can really mess with your brain. And I don't care whether or not you believe in aliens, personally, I do. We can't be the only thing here, but I kind of doubt this actually happened. Yeah, I mean, the alien bombs are topic for another day, but yeah, I doubt that that happened. And uh, here's a quote from uh, an Army veteran, Daniel Summers, uh, about his PTSD. I'm left with basically nothing, too trapped in a war to be at peace, too damaged to be at war. That's uh, pretty quote, exp- uh, that's a quote explaining how uh, severely uh, uh, war, the trauma of war can really impact soldiers and stuff yeah you know they're so accustomed to living you know living their lives in battle uh, during their time in war and when they come home they're so accustomed to that that they just can't seem to fit in no more because of their traumatic experience and then here's another quote from an anonymous veteran he said uh I was prepared to serve, prepared to be injured, prepared to die, but I was not prepared to live with relentless, invisible wounds for the rest of my life, not prepared for those wounds to so deeply affect those I love. Yeah, this quote, I wouldn't say I relate to, but it's more so my mom, her father, I forgot what war it was, but my mom always told me she discourages me joining any type of military because she saw what it did to her dad and how he was just mentally never the same from when he left and then when he came back he was just changed so differently and there's nothing you can really do about it then there's a recent uh there's been a recent discussion going on about like surrounding the fourth of july with uh, like how a lot of uh, veterans they get ptsd from like the fireworks it brings them back to like uh, bombs and stuff going off and uh, it's been a pretty popular discussion recently, and uh, so I'm just curious what does one think about, like, should there be fireworks, or, uh, like, should, or with knowing the, how, uh, how severely it's affecting the veterans? Well, uh, me personally, I'm all for it. I mean, it's a tradition. You know, uh, my family, every 4th of July, we gather, and, uh, you know, we, there are always fireworks, and as with so many other families. Yeah. Now, as much as I love watching fireworks yeah, and yeah, fireworks. going to Ridge Country Club every, what is it, July 3rd? They do it the day before, right? Yeah. Going to Ridge every July 3rd, sitting on the grass with all my family and friends and watching fireworks. I think, you know, if you're that type of person that, like I was, I walk out in the middle of the street, I set off some fireworks and I run back. And personally, now, that I know more about the topic. I think that if you know you have neighbors at certain military, you should check with them maybe a week or a day or so before 
and just check, you know, hey, is this okay with you or is this going to bother you? Because, you know, everyone talks about respecting our troops and respecting their service, but are you really respecting that if you don't care about, like, those little things when they come back? Uh, that's a good point. I, this is something I, I didn't even consider until uh, it was brought to my attention this past summer. I, like, saw people talking about it on Twitter and kind of it really got me thinking. And, like, I, I love fireworks just like uh, you guys do, and everyone loves fireworks. But, uh, I mean, if it's going to be, like, if it's going to really be harmful to neighbors who fought overseas and everything, then why are we doing it? It's not right. Um. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. Um, I just don't believe that it's possible for, you know, this to be a nationwide thing. Oh, yeah, it's hard to please everyone, and yeah. it's never going to happen. Yeah. Going back, like, uh, with our previous segment, uh, just like... I'm leaving the door open and just shutting the light off then. Uh, just like uh, the gun laws, there are always going to be so many views and people with so many solutions that just intervene with someone else's solution. Yeah, and you can never find a solution that works for everyone. But, yeah, I mean, obviously if you stop like, having everyone blow off fireworks, there'd be crazy, like, there'd be people protesting that and everything. And you're never going to be able to please everyone. So it's really just a, it's a tough topic. To, it's really never going to find the right solution for it. And uh, that was all we had on PTSD. That's all for today, folks. We would like to thank our generous sponsors and all of you listening. Make sure to tune in next week to listen to us break down the next portion of the Slaughterhouse Five. For our sad departure, we're going to leave you with Goodbye My Lover by James Blunt. And a special thank you to Apple Music for allowing us to use their music in our podcast.